from Manasseh to Moses to Messiah? Let's pop a top on this. Don't make the same. Oh, you actually make it nice. Yeah, and then you talk right over it. So it was an A plus, A plus top pop. Oh, I was like, mm -hmm. and I only have one. I only brought one, and Chris talked right over it. That was pretty good. That was pretty <laughs> good. Let's cue the music. There's a war going down. Put your shield and your armor on. There's a war going down. Put your shield and your armor on. Pick up your sword, gather your strength from the only one. Pick up your sword, gather your strength from the holy one. What's up, guys and gals? I'm Carl. I'm Sonny. And I'm Chris. And you're listening to another episode of Digging Deeper, a Bible study series brought to you by Broken Record Ministries. You say it so good. You got the job, Chris. It's <laughs> yours from now on. You know what time it is, buddy. Oh, yeah. Bringing it down. Bringing it down. <laughs> Expectations, that is. <laughs> Not the house. Got to keep it realistic for everybody. All right. What do you call a sleepy dinosaur? I don't know. I don't know. Sonny wants to ruin this for you more than I do. I, think. <laughs> I, I can I, see it in his face. <laughs> I, I thought of one, but no. A Snorosaurus. <laughs> that might be the lowest expectation we've ever set on the podcast. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I didn't get that one exactly right. Because again, my, my friend Joey, his boy Caden loves to tell you know, dad jokes. Yeah. And he told me that one. And I mean, it hit me so hard. So I probably told it wrong. Like I probably <laughs> set it up wrong, but yeah, it was, it was pretty good. So yeah, I'd share. Well, I'll give you, a, I'm not even going to rate it. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to tear you down. Too it, wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't, I will say it's not the top tier. It's not my best work, <laughs> but. Yeah. So this week we're going to continue and part two of our discussion on a study we're calling the Manasseh Connection. But before we drop the needle on that, Sonny, Chris, what's on your mind? Got anything, Sonny? Um, no, not really. I've, um, you know, my, everything's just been kind of flowing through right now. You know, it's not been no ups, no downs, really. It's just kind of been a level plane right now for me. So, um, you know, it's kind of, I don't know, just moseying on through. <laughs> <laughs> just moseying on through right now. Yeah, so getting along. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Before you start, Chris, I want to say I'm so jealous of that beard. Like you, even, like the mustache, it's even got that twirl uh -huh. on the corners. <laughs> you like that? Westerns. Oh, man, like I love it. I'm, start, I'm starting to, yeah. My wife doesn't like it, but I do. I resent my Irish heritage so much. Gross <laughs> and patchy. I, like, you got an awesome beard, too, son. I, just, I feel like such, so, like, less of a man when I kind of walk into this room with you guys. Go ahead, Chris. Well, don't feel too bad because I'm, like, I almost went home and, like, rage shaved mine off this past weekend because I got made fun of because it had so much white in it. <laughs> but it's, it it's like, character. right. It's like, but, but it's patchy. You know, like, if you really look at it, it's like, there's like a spot here that's gray. It's not like streaky gray, like uh -huh. distinguished gray. It's like 
Like that's the same way with me. Yeah. You know, I got it all on the sides and uh, you know, I got red in the front and brown over here. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you ever commit to that, try to keep it in one piece, not just glue it on my face. There you go. Right, right on. <laughs> That's well, what I did last time when I cut it, you know, right after that, uh, that beard competition is mm-hmm. that I put it like, like they do like, um, for the locks of love, the girls, they put it in the ponytail and they cut it. Yeah. That's what I do with my beard is I put it in a ponytail or I braided it actually and cut it. So it was like, <laughs> it's like I had a whip when I was done. <laughs> right on. But, uh, no, it's, uh, I'm going to say, it's funny that you mentioned my beard because I don't, this grinds my gears. I don't understand why I can get my tire changed at six o'clock in the morning. But I can't get a haircut. <laughs> it makes me mad. <laughs> I need a haircut. Right. Yeah. Obviously. And, uh, I'm like, so I was like, well, maybe I got some time before the podcast or whatever. And, uh, I Googled it nine o'clock, nine o'clock, nine o'clock. Everything, every place opens at like nine o'clock. Grinds my gears. That's not the only thing I have today. I'm just getting that off my chest. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's not I'm what I'm more out. I'm uh, yeah. a lot out today. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I can bring my clippers next time. No, right That's on. True. I cut my own hair. I can cut yours too. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I, cut- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was, you just keep your opinions to yourself, Chris. I was a barber for a little bit. So. Oh, nice. Right on. I might do that if I can't get in today in Hannibal. Cause I got to go to the dentist after this. So I'm not looking forward to it. I got to go tomorrow. Mm. Mm. I like my dentist. <laughs> I like my dentist. I don't like what he does though. Yeah. <laughs> I- <laughs> He's a great guy. I just don't like what he does. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> so, yeah. So anyways, um, but I, I, I only mentioned that because, you know, my wife, you know, kind of gave me a, a smack down on it and, you know, and it was in the form of needing to look at things differently. Mm-hmm. Like she's like, well, maybe there's just not a need to get your, people to get their hair cut that early in the morning, but there is for tires. I'm like, that's true. And then I start thinking about it. I'm like, you know, most people would probably get their hair cut after work. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. if they start later in the day, nine, 10 o'clock, then they can work till five, six, seven o'clock. So I'm like, all right. Then yeah. But yeah. you got to think about like, I, I mean, in the movies, all the old guys used to go to the barber shop and sit there and drink coffee and talk about all the gossip of the town and everything. Wow. You know. Yeah. Well, I was going to say the days of the barber shop are kind of fading. Yes, they are. I don't, I, I can't. I remember there used to be one in Vandalia that my dad would go to. Mm-hmm. And I know that there was one in Quincy because my old boss <laughs> used to get his hair cut in the middle of the day. So, but other than that, like I didn't. Like I looked for a barber around town, mm-hmm. at least here I couldn't find one. So, um, I don't remember the name of it, but there's the one off of Morley, down the way, okay. um, down past Casey's and all that on the right hand side. Uh, he does a really good job. Nice. Yeah. Maybe like, I'll stop it on my way out of town. Yeah, he's he's really good. Right. I like him. He actually even does a bald fade that is absolutely on point. <laughs> That's what I need. Bald fade. 
He's not a sponsor of the podcast, by the way. Yeah. No, we can yeah. change that if you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> Give us all haircuts. We'll plug you for sure. Nah, so I mean, it's just it was, it was being able to look at something a little differently and, you know, and then, you know, that got me thinking and uh, kind of contemplating things. And it brought up, in a roundabout way, it brought up something that uh, I heard coined on the way on another podcast that I listened to being uncomfortable for Jesus. Hmm. It sounds really, it sounds really weird, but I'll tell you, I'll, t- I, I'll, I'll bring up my situation. Um, so, you know, at time of airing the, I don't know, we were, we're probably three, four weeks out from the conference. Mm-hmm. Right. And which was October 22nd. <laughs> Timestamp. <laughs> I make my own sound effects too. <laughs> that was very good. <laughs> that, that was more of a clap than it was a stamp. But yeah. Um. So it's no secret to anybody that knows me that crowds make me uncomfortable. Like I was dreading that experience all the way up until day of, and even day of, people. Ronnie kept asking me, "He's like, are you all right? Mm-hmm. You doing okay? You know." And you know, I, you know you make it through and, but it's one of those things where I started thinking like if I hadn't have been uncomfortable, look at what I would have missed out on. Right. You know, the experiences there, the, and I talked about this, the being able to see the love that those, that, that those men poured out over each other. So it was amazing, amazing experience. So it's one of those things where, you know, like, I feel like it's it was worth bringing up that I feel it's important sometimes to be uncomfortable for Jesus. Yeah, you know what I mean. Because mm-hmm. I feel you know most most people new to the faith are going to go through you know their honeymoon phase where mm-hmm. everything's going to be great and they're going to be in the Word and you know they're gonna, they're they're learning and it's fun and like an emotional high right mm-hmm. right and then they're going to come to a you know some some tough realities you know as we all do as i do as as everybody does where eventually you're going to be put in a situation where your faith is going to be tested and it's going to be uncomfortable mm-hmm. and the only thing to do is just be, <laughs> be uncomfortable for jesus right yep. so yep you got to be willing to be in the fire it calls you to be. Yeah. So I just, that, that was pretty much what I had today. I was hoping, you know, kind of get your guys' opinions on that. Maybe such situations where you found yourself uncomfortable, but then in retrospect, it was good. I mean, I would say this, honestly, when you go back to when we first started this, it's very clear how uncomfortable, how uncomfortable we were doing it. And I've said for a long time, I think he'll often call you to do things you're not comfortable doing. Cause I think you take it more seriously. Yeah. I, I mean, this was huge for me, you know, um, I, Carl invited me to come and hang out on the podcast and I was so nervous. I was just like, Oh, how am I going to sound? Oh, <laughs> right. You know, it, am I going to mess up? Am I going to say something stupid or am I going <laughs> to 
possibly even cuss, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> I'm still, you know, battling my own little demons here and there. And I oh, mean, you don't you don't know how hard it's been for me not to drop a bomb on. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, like it's it's those little things, you know. And then you know, I was fearful, but you know, every day on the way over here, so far, I've you know been like, God, just be with me. You know, guide my my mouth because I know. I don't need to do it. <laughs> so, well, and that highlights why I think he does call you to do things you're uncomfortable with. Because if you don't feel equipped to do it of your own, you're more prone to lean on him, right, which right. is what he wants. Mm-hmm. Right? He wants to be in control, and he wants to be the one that's pouring out of you. But if you're if you're leaning too much on your own skill or your own ability, yeah. you know, you get arrogant about it, and you really don't you don't turn to him for it. You don't give it over to him and let him control the situation. Right. You know. Right. Yep. I think it's also important too that, you know, if, and this is where it gets dicey, I think for us as Christians trying to mentor other Christians is when do we push somebody to be uncomfortable when we know it's in their best interest? You know, do we, I mean, of course it's, it's always one of those things where you listen to, you listen to God, if he's putting it on your heart to, to, to make other people uncomfortable, then, then that's what you follow. But, um, you know, it's, that can be a tricky situation. You know, you can either push people away or bring people closer. Well, and it's not like you're making them, making them uncomfortable on purpose, like right. seeking out to. It's just, it's a matter of discernment. You know what I mean? Like you said, listen to the spirit, make sure that what, what you're asking that person to do is genuinely from him, right. you know? Yeah, that's what and I mean. Yeah. If he yep. chooses to make them uncomfortable, that's his prerogative. Ultimately, he's sovereign. He's going to do what he wants. You just mm-hmm. have to, you just have to be attentive to what he's calling you to do and telling you to do in the moment and obey it. Right. right. So. Good stuff. So you had? No, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, yes and no, yes and no. I mean, it's, it's, and, and, and it's, it's also one of those things where it's not just, um, you know, being socially awkward or anything like that. It's just things that you wouldn't normally do that, you know, would, would, would make your Christian love shine more in the sense where, so I'll, I'll give you the example from the, from the other podcast was the person didn't really like going to other people's houses to eat mm-hmm. because he didn't see how the food was prepared, kind of a food snob. So it's just one of those things where he didn't enjoy it. So he, he just didn't do it, but they, him and his wife had recently, you know, witnessed to another couple and, you know, brought them to the faith. So they invited them over for dinner. His wife's like, you gotta do it. Like you, you just gotta, gotta get through it. You know, I think that's, that's kind of one of the things where, you know, sometimes we just, it, if Jesus is calling you to be uncomfortable, it's not only not, not sometimes it's not only for your benefit, but for maybe for somebody else's benefit. Mm -hmm. Right. you know, maybe there was somebody, I didn't say much at the conference, but maybe something that I said needed to be heard from somebody in that audience. You know what I mean? Or my presence there talking with somebody in the crowd, they needed that. Right. Well, that's why I, I said what I say. Mike mm-hmm. gave his speech at the conference, him and his wife. And that was what I said to him early on. And this isn't boastful. It's just, it's the truth. I think, you know, when we give speeches or we preach or something like that, we, we want everything to be framed so perfectly, mm-hmm. you know, to have all this, this awesome speech and, 
honestly, the last time I got feedback when I, when I gave a sermon, it was one line. It was one thing I said that somebody really keyed in on and was impactful for them. You know, it's, right. it's, it's often not the entire 30 minute to an hour long speech that somebody's going to remember. It's, it's one thing that you said that the spirit used to tug at their heart. That's what they're going to remember. So that's why it's so important to just obey him and mm-hmm. to just follow his prodding. If he places something on your heart to say, just say it and let it drop. You know, you don't have to add a bunch of flowery speech to it, you know, <laughs> right. it's probably going to be enough. Uh, I think it was Micah. We were talking last night. Yeah, it was Micah. We were talking last night and he was talking about a book. I can't, I can't even remember what it was called. It was, it's, it's a guy who used to be a brothel owner, mm-hmm. really rough dude. Mm-hmm. And then he became a follower of Jesus. Now he's an evangelist. And he was talking about how to, how to witness to people. And, you know, when we're witnessing, we think we've got to talk them into the kingdom. Right. We've got to have this perfect speech to yeah. speech to talk them into believing in Jesus. You know, this this we have to have the Roman road, Romans road. We have to frame out everything perfect to share the gospel. And he shared a story of of one one in, one encounter that he had with, with this individual on the street. And all he asked him was he pointed out the the verse in Romans for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That was it. He had him read that verse and he said, what does this mean to you? And the guy's response was. It means I need to repent of my sin and ask Jesus into my heart. All it took. Mm. All it took in that moment was just letting the word speak for itself. Right. He didn't have to talk that guy into the kingdom. He didn't have to give a perfect speech. All he had to do was listen to the prodding of the spirit, which was saying he needs that verse. Read that verse, ask him what it means. And he did. And the guy became a believer. Wow. All it took. Mm-hmm. Just have to listen. Yep. And uh, so I'm going to kind of take what what Sonny said earlier and what you, what you're saying there, Carl, and combine them in the fact where, you know, when we started out, we were really nervous and, you know, for me, it was, you know, saying being called on something that I said that was not right. Like that was my biggest fear was getting on here and saying something that wasn't accurate and being called on it. Right. You know, and, but then, you know, now looking back on it, it's like, well, I need that. That's, that's, we all need to hold each other accountable and, and be okay with being uncomfortable. If you hear something that is not right, it's okay to have that uncomfortable conversation with that, with that follower, with that, with your, with your brother in Christ. Right. You know, I think we shy away from that too much. You know, we hold each other accountable in every other facet life but we're scared to have that you know that uncomfortable conversation with a with a brother about mm-hmm. something you know if you <laughs> if i was watching carl walk off a cliff i'd say hey man let's talk about this let's yeah. i don't want you to walk off that well yeah i would i'd stop him you know what i mean right <laughs> oh man yeah, think about that. <laughs> uh, no i'm just kidding you know i would but 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 you know, if we're watching somebody walk off a spiritual cliff, we're more apt to turn an eye to to make ourselves more comfortable, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't want to have that's a that's a hard con- that's a weird conversation to have with that person. Why? Why is it? Why is it hard? Or why is it weird? Or right. is it uncomfortable? Shouldn't be. But. No, you're right. It shouldn't be. Yeah. I mean, my biggest thing is is. I haven't really had to have a whole lot of them kind of conversations yet, you know, 
it, my day will come, but you know, um, I've had to have conversations is just, just about, um, I guess, uh, moral, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? That just normal everyday things that are right. You mm -hmm, know, right. you know, just things that shouldn't be said or shouldn't be that way. Um, but, uh, you know, as a, you know, uh, new Christ follower, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a little different. I haven't had to have the, the hard conversations yet. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, I know my day's coming. Right. Well, <laughs> you I mean, know, I, I think you, I think, I think you've had, I mean, you shared a good example. <laughs> yeah. I did it. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Sorry. I was trying to adjust, but, uh, you know, last week when you, when you shared having that conversation with your friend about, listen, if you're going to keep pursuing what you're pursuing, you can't be in my life. Right. I mean, that's a hard conversation to have. Yeah. Right. You know, that's an uncomfortable conversation to have. But that was my very first one ever. Right. And that's where I very, like I, that's where my life changed with God and, uh, like a I, pivot point. Yeah. And that was like something that I was seeking, something that I was trying to have in my life. I chose God over it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it came down to a point where in my mind and my brain and my heart and my soul, like every part of my being was, was changed in that moment because I like, I chose God over everything that I wanted, everything that I thought I deserved, everything I thought that I, you know, um, <clears throat> that was a big, big step for me. And, uh, you know, now um, I have, I still have a very selective way of trying to have the right people in my life. And, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes... Maybe it's, I'm still not there, <laughs> maybe, but, um, you know, um, I think there's a lot of people in my life that have a lot of meaning mm -hmm. and for right now in my life where I'm at and, you know, where my, where my growth is, uh, I think I have the, I have the right people around. So I'm, uh, you know, just slowly growing, slowly getting to a point where God wants me to be instead of where I want to be. Right. right. And, you know, um, the biggest thing is growth every day. You know, I mean, some way or another, I learn something. You know, I learn about God. I learn about myself. I learn where I'm wrong. I learn some way or another. I mean, it's every single day. <laughs> yep. Sometimes it's kind of hard, but, you know. Well, like connecting that with, you know, our topic for last week and this week, Manasseh, I think we mentioned it last week, you know, Manasseh wasn't in a place where he could really listen until God corrected the environment, mm -hmm. took him away from the, the bad influences and the, the people around him that had his ear, you know what I mean? Right, right. Got him to that place of silence. And that's when real growth happened. Yeah. You know, when he really, when he really got to know who God really was and have a relationship with him. Environment's very important. Yes, right. it is. Very important. Yeah. That's, you know, and, I, and this is something that I meant to bring up before, but I imagine, you know, that Manasseh had very, a lot, very many, very many, yep. a lot. <laughs> I, I was going to say one of the descriptors there. <laughs> yeah, I was, well, I was going to say, I was going to go one way and then I stopped very a lot. I was going to say very many and I stopped halfway and went with a lot. So it sounded like very a lot. <laughs> 
I haven't had enough coffee yet this morning. I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I I would I feel like he had to have a lot of uncomfortable conversations when he came back to his country. Well, I can't imagine what it was like when he came back. <laughs> and oh. started, you know, all these people that had been worshiping, you know, because it's, you know, we, we went over the fact that he led people away from God. Yeah. And, you know, so they had been worshiping this way for, you know, worshiping the the demonic, the bales and and you know all these conversations that he had to have of listen this isn't the way well this is the way you taught us well i know this is the way you know what i mean like but i was wrong but i was wrong yeah. you know or why are you throwing this idol out or won't the won't the gods be mad at us well there's only one god that you need to be you know what i mean like there's i i would imagine a multitude of uncomfortable conversations that he had to have upon return yeah you know? And that may have been why he, you know, I don't think we really got into that because you have to go beyond Manasseh to yeah. his son, Amon. But that may be a, a factor in why he made the only real mistake he made when he came back, which was not grinding the idols to powder. Mm-hmm. He just, he threw them whole outside the city. And when his son took over, his son was evil, just, just like he was in the early part of his reign. And his son brought the idols back inside the city and set him back up again. So his grandson, Josiah, corrects that error. Uh, Amon dies in two years because he was yeah. just he was just off the rails evil. There was no chance for repentance in his heart. Mm-hmm. He dies in two years, and Josiah takes over and he takes after Manasseh, the latter half, Manasseh, the right. the, the repentant Manasseh, the good Manasseh, and he corrects that error and he takes the idols and grinds them to powder so they can't be reused again. And I, I can't help but wonder, just connecting that, I can't help but wonder if that's not why Manasseh maybe made that error because it was it was so difficult. Like we don't, I don't think we comprehend how difficult that situation was for him when he came back. He probably felt like he was on an island. I'm sure he had mm-hmm. some allies. I'm sure there were people in Jerusalem that were that were obedient to the Most High that, that you know, he had to right. have had help. Right. But I can't help but think that it was the minority. Yep. It was awful easy for his son, Amen, to, to step on the scene and within two years have everybody right back into idol worship again. That tells me that the hearts of the people hadn't changed. No. Manasseh's heart had and a few of his allies' hearts had, but the people's heart hadn't. Right. It's good. It's a good play. That's a good lead into the second half. Yeah, I think so too. One thing I, I will segue, and it'll be relevant. It, I, I, I want to ask a couple of questions and, and share something before we move into the second half, because it's going to be relevant to what we're talking about. You mentioned something, you made a, a statement about how we need to look at things differently mm-hmm. sometimes, right? And I agree. I think there's a lot of things that we need to look at differently. I'm going to ask a couple of questions, mo- mostly for you, Chris. Softball questions, don't worry. Okay. (laughs) Is the father good? Yes. Is the father righteous? Yes. Is the father kind? Yes. Is he benevolent? Yes. Does he do anything out of maliciousness or spite or pettiness? No. No. What is sin? transgression against the father yeah against his law right yeah one john three four says sin is transgression of the law that's how the bible defines sin repeatedly including in the new testament so if sin is transgressing the law what is righteousness the i would say the 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 other side of the coin of that yeah yeah following the law did sin exist before the law was put on into writing at Sinai? Yes. Yes. And sin is transgression of the law. 
So if I said that the law, the written law, is an expression of God's heart about what he views as righteous and what he views as sinful, would you agree with that? I think so. Yeah. Does he change? Nope. No. So there is a there is a an eternal definition of goodness in the Father's heart. Mm-hmm. And if the law defines righteousness and sin, that means that that's an expression of his heart about what is good and what is wrong. Would you agree? Say that again. If, can't remember how I worded it. (laughs) (laughs) If the law defines righteousness and sin, and that's an expression of his heart, would you agree that, that the, the written law is an expression of the father's, the good father's heart about what is right and wrong? Oh, yes. Okay. Who is the lawgiver? Like, who who first gave Where does the law come from? Oh, it comes from God. It comes from God. Some would say Moses, and that's why I ask this, because a lot of the arguments about the law— Wasn't it given to Moses from God? Yeah, I'm going to read Malachi chapter 4-4. I want to read it verbatim so we get this right turn to it real quick i don't know why but i got my fighting gloves on (laughs) i'm not attacking you you're okay the reason i ask that is because a theological argument within the christian faith is that the law is of moses therefore since we have jesus now we can ignore the law of moses that hinges upon the idea that the law comes from moses Malachi chapter 4 verse 4 says remember the law of moses my servant this is god talking Mm -hmm. Even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Oreb, that's Sinai, for all Israel. Mm-hmm. So he's saying, I gave the law. The right, law came right. from me. All Moses did was stand on the mountain and write it down. Right. That's all he did. Right. And then teach the people. The father's saying the law came from me. Yeah. I think we have a very negative view of the law. Mm-hmm. I think we've been conditioned to view the law very negatively. And the reason I think that's problematic is if the law came from a good, good father, if we have a negative view of the law he gave, it flirts very dangerously with having a negative view of the lawgiver being the Mm -hmm. father, right? Right. The reason I say this is because of some things that I've seen expressed towards myself and others. For example, on the extreme end, I've had individuals say before that seeking to obey and apply the law of the Father is, how did they word it, is teaching a doctrine of demons. Whoa, wow. So applying the law from the Father, they define as a doctrine of demons. Now, what if the law comes from the Father and applying the law is a doctrine of demons, what have you just called the Father? A demon. A demon. Yeah. Hmm. Very dangerous. Right. And that's when that negative view of the law can go off the rails. A more tame version of this is what I've seen recently, actually this week. You know, and this the topic we're going to get into, the verses we're going to get into on the on the latter half. I'll be honest with you guys, I really agonized over how to frame it, what to say, how to how to express it, and I really kind of landed on just letting it speak for itself. I'm gonna I'm gonna lean less on me, kind of like what we talked about mm-hmm. earlier, Sonny, and and more on the word. Right, I'm going to let the word mostly speak for itself, but I, I want to frame this in the beginning on, on why I think that I'm agonizing over it so much. Because I recently s- saw somebody express that the only reason the Father gave the law, the only reason that he gave the law at Sinai was to condemn the people. That was it. Mm. 
He gave the law just to condemn the people. Now, I understand that comes from a reference from Paul, and we don't have time to dig into that, maybe in a future episode, but that's ripped wildly out of context. The law does condemn, but it's not because the law is bad. It's because our heart is bad. Right. It's a big difference. His law expresses his definition of right and wrong. It's not the law that leads us astray. It's our own wayward heart. It, it highlighted the need for a changed heart. And we see that pictured in Manasseh, right? right. The, his pivot point right. was the Assyrian prison cell, and his heart changed. The father moved on his behalf to change his heart. When his heart changed, he went back to Jerusalem, and what did he do? He obeyed the law. Obeyed the law. Right? Yeah. He, he sought to apply the law. He didn't, he didn't go back to his idols and just, just say, I have grace now. I can continue sinning because the law doesn't matter anymore because I have a changed heart. The changed heart led him to seek after righteousness, right? Mm-hmm. Right. When you say that the law was only given to condemn the people, that's sort of like saying that the father took the people out of Egypt, out of bondage, freed them, brought them to Sinai just to put bondage on them and condemn them. Only to teach some Christians a lesson 2,000 years or 1,500 years later. Right. Does a good father do that? Does, does a good father take generations worth of people and intentionally cause them to suffer and condemn them just to teach a lesson to a future people group? If so, let me ask this a different way. That, that would almost be like a father condemning his oldest son to teach his youngest son a lesson. That's exactly the, mm-hmm. the example I was getting ready to bring up. That's stunning to me. Yeah. The law does teach, don't be wrong, that like this whole situation was a teaching tool to teach all of humanity that we need to change our heart because our heart is leading us astray. Right. I don't contest that. That's absolutely true. But to, but to borderline imply that he condemned generations worth of people just to teach a lesson to a different group of generations of people is faulty. It was to teach all of us the need for a changed mm-hmm. heart. Just like he taught Manasseh. Remember, Manasseh was before the birth of Jesus. And he was able to learn that lesson and apply it. Right. Anybody could have learned that lesson and applied it at any time. David did, Manasseh did, we, you know, the prophets did. We see countless individuals that do. And through the prophets, he repeatedly says, if you return to me, I'll return to you. He's not saying, you future Christians learn this lesson because I'm going to condemn this people and they can't return to me, but you can. He's saying this people right now, right here, they can return yeah. to me and I'll return to them. Right? But when we have this negative view of his law, it leads to a negative view of the Father which leads to, to heresies that we've seen in the church, like uh, Martianism uh-huh. is, is an example. And what Martianism taught was based upon this, this faulty view of the Father. It literally teaches that the, quote, Old Testament God was a vengeful, malevolent God, and the New Testament God, Jesus, came to free us from the Old Testament God. Now, Implying he, that they're not one and the same. Right. Or are part of that same you know, the, the, the father's son. Essentially, he's saying the father's bad, the son's good. Right. We, follow, we follow the son because the father was bad. That's essentially what Martianism teaches. And that's an extreme, don't get me wrong, but I think we sort of imply similar things. We just don't say it as overtly mm-hmm. anymore. But when we say negative things about what the father expresses to us, we're sort of saying the same thing, that what the father gave us was bad, so the son came to free us from the bad things the father did. That's sort of what we imply, and it's very dangerous. It borders very heavily on blasphemy. Now, I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying that everything about the law still applies to us. Right. You're wrong. He's our atonement. There are things that changed. There are things that shifted. The veil was torn. But when we take an overarching negative view 
of what his purposes were at Sinai. It leads to, in our heart, the possibility of a negative view of the Father himself. And the Father's good, right? right. The Father is awesome. You know, the Father was willing to, to make the ultimate sacrifice to rescue us, and not just us, everybody, right? right. Including the bad King Manasseh. Right. You know, I, right. And I think it's just dangerous. And that's why I wanted to, I wanted to frame when we lead into the second half, I guess that, uh, that paradigm that there is that mm-hmm. paradigm out there that, that views the law. It almost like the law is the antithesis of his grace. Right. Like they can't coexist. Grace is not the antithesis of law. Grace is the antithesis of sin. Right. Mm-hmm. Grace isn't to cover the law. Grace is to cover our sin against the father. That's what grace is. Grace, grace is to free us and to cover us from sinning against the father. Grace doesn't free us from obeying the father. That doesn't make any sense. I don't guess I have anything more on that. I just want you guys to keep that kind of in the back of your mind. And those of you listening, keep that in the back of your mind as we read the verses that we're going to connect to Manasseh on the bottom half. Do you guys have any, anything you want to add before we go to our, our break? Just Sonny, if you don't have anything, no, okay. all right. Just the, um, I don't know how to, I don't know how to word this. So I'm just going to say it. <laughs> I think it's important to remember the difference between his laws and the laws we made on top of his laws. Yes. Oh, I think there's, there's, uh, cause I think, a lot of times people take things where Jesus shucked the laws of the Pharisees and the laws of the land in order to preserve God's law. Mm-hmm. And when he did that, he, I think people point to that and say, well, look, even Jesus threw out the law. I'm like, well, if we really look at those scriptures, he was throwing out the laws that man elevated above his father's laws. Those were what he was being, those were what he taught to be on guard for is when, when men elevated themselves and supplemented their law over his law, that's when he shocked laws. Yeah. I think there's a, a, there's an important difference there because I, I kind of heard the same thing and that's where a lot of people go to is, you know, even Jesus himself, you know, and, and I think it had to do with the, um, the most, the time the that most people use is the um, when the Pharisees called out Jesus's disciples for not doing the ritual hand washing, mm-hmm. and he pretty much called them hypocrites. Yeah, we're actually going to get into that okay. that passage on the bottom half, Mark Mark chapter seven. Okay, what so that is. yeah, so it's where you know, well, well, then there we we'll go. We'll get into it, but it's <laughs> you know it was you know we're, when we supplement or surplant our laws over his is when he shucks laws. Yeah. And I want to make abundantly clear. I'm not saying that we earn anything. We can't earn our salvation. Manasseh didn't, didn't go back to Jerusalem and earn his restoration by obeying enough. The the father moved on his behalf because he cried out because he had a genuine heart. That's when he was restored was in the prison cell, but he walked with the father after that. And I'm sure he wasn't perfect. None of us are right. I'm not saying that anybody can walk perfectly. Solomon makes that clear. Everybody has sin, but I think everybody who's experienced that transformation will attest that there are certain things that the spirit begins to convict you on and move you away from. Yes. And they always align with the, the standards expressed in his law. It, it never disagrees with what you read in the written word. It never disagrees with that. And we've got to be very cautious about viewing 
the word law like it's a dirty word because you see the you see the mainstream churches slipping more and more and more toward complete lawlessness. Right. Like as long as you say Jesus, you can live any way you want. Mm. We're seeing we're seeing that 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 moral stagnation creep into the churches at an increasing level and it all roots back to a negative view of the concept of law. Right? And don't get me wrong, legalism is a very dangerous thing too. Because right. that leads to, to 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 displacing the promise in the person of Jesus. Right. That's just as dangerous. You know, there that's is a narrow the, road between. I was going to say, that's the pendulum swinging all the way to the other exactly. side. Too much grace, <laughs> none at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got to be cautious on both ends of it. So that's all I have. Let's go ahead and take our music break. This week, we're going to be playing a song called Sin in Me by Mike Maranatha. And again, I want to remind those of you listening, if you have original music you would like us to consider featuring on future episodes of Digging Deeper here at Broken Record Ministries, then contact us. You can reach us on our Facebook group, Broken Record Ministries, or you can email us at brokenrecordministries at gmail.com. And again, be sure and stay tuned to the other side of the break, and we will continue with our Bible study for this week. Talk at you in a few. So I choose to let you control You see this life, it ain't really minded If you lose your life, you won't really find it If you look into this light, it won't leave you blinded Open up your eyes and peel back your eyelids There's a sin living in me I'm tired of the sin living in me Lord, there's a sin living in me Help, I need grace, there's a sin living in me There's a sin living in me I'm tired of the sin living in me Lord, there's a sin living in me, so sin down your fire, got it burning like a chimney. I wanna do what is right, but I seem to never do it. But I'm doing what I hate, so Lord, I need grace, cause I'm steady going through it. I wanna do what is right, but I seem to never do it. But I'm doing what I hate, so Lord, I need grace, cause I'm steady going through it. There's a sin living in me. 
I'm tired of the sin living in me Lord, there's a sin living in me Help, I need grace cause there's sin living in me There's a sin living in me I'm tired of the sin living in me Lord, there's a sin living in me So sit down your fire, please, and burn it like a chimney Drop like bombs, ring the alarm Let the trumpet sound cold when the day gon' come Everybody in the battlefield I keep the toast, the roaster on me The holy word of God is real Sin living in me really gotta go In the name of Jesus Christ, kick it out the door I don't know why we still living in the foe When he hung on the cross, it showed us way more The devil believes we all relevant But we die from a lack of knowledge, heaven sent So why do we settle for some worldly sin That can knock us off the path on inheritance Salvation is something that I'm after That's a different chapter, I can see the laughter When judgment falls, can you last? Some of us will make it, some of us will pass the word of God says to cast all your burdens and worries onto him. I am not a perfect man. I am broken. I was just like you. You can't be redeemed because I've been redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. And I pray God take the sin that's living in me and cast it out in Jesus' name. I want to do what is right, but I seem to never do it. But I'm doing what I hate, so Lord, I need grace because I'm steady going through it. Help, I need grace, cause there's sin living in me There's a sin living in me I'm tired of the sin living in me Lord, there's a sin living in me So sit down your fire, please, and burn it like a chimney And we are back again That was Sin in Me by Mike Maranatha And be sure to show these artists some love The Their link either to their website or their Spotify playlist will be in the description. Go give them a follow at the very least. You know, their music is a ministry, so show them some support. So last week we started our discussion on Manasseh and we ran through the actual account of Manasseh from 2 Chronicles chapter 33. You want to briefly summarize that for us, Chris? Briefly. Summarize the life of Manasseh according to Chronicles. Uh, well... Do you want me to start with his father, or do you just start with Manasseh? You can just say it in like two, like like a couple sentences. Oh, a couple sentences. The important takeaway from Manasseh. Oh, Manasseh led his nation into Baal worship and everything that God hated. Uh, God sent the Syrian army to take him away into slavery and torture. He then repented of his sins and called out for God and then God delivered him back into his nation. He then turned around, turned his life around, let it got rid of all the bell worship and started living for God. And that's Manasseh. Why do we even have the episode last week? <laughs> we had just done that. I mean there's a lot more a, a there's, trailer. There's a lot more to it than that. Like yeah. but yeah that was the that's the flyover. So this week, I want to I want to continue the discussion of Manasseh, but this time connecting it to a couple things. And I'm, I, I want to start with connecting what we learn about him to Deuteronomy chapter 18. And I, hopefully it'll make sense when we're done. I'm, I'm hoping that this will show that there is deeper implications to the Manasseh story than what might meet the eye. Right. Doing the 
two plus two. Yes. This week. Yes. <laughs> and I'm going to, like I said, largely let the word speak for itself. There may be some tough truths for some people reading this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I won't shy away from challenging you, especially if it's from the word. Mm. Right. You're okay with those uncomfortable conversations. Yes, absolutely right. So unless you guys have any introductory comments you'd like to make before we start, we'll just dig right in. I'm good. You guys good? good? Yeah. Nothing, nothing witty to say before we... No. No, you thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, so Deuteronomy chapter 18, starting in verse 9. When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, you shall not learn to imitate the detestable things of those nations. Go ahead. (laughs) I had to sneeze. Oh, I thought you had a thought. (laughs) No. I was so excited. I thought something. Sorry. I had to sneeze and I didn't want to go. (laughs) (laughs) So you did it fake. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I was so excited. I thought something just mind blowing was about yeah. to come out of your mouth. No, light no. bulb. Well, a mind blowing <laughs> sneeze, maybe. Oh, okay. Sorry. So what he's telling the people now, you're good. Pausing there. So what he's telling the people is not to not to emulate the pagan practices of of the nations that they're going in to dispossess. So precisely the sort of Baal worship that we talked about that Manasseh engaged in. He's saying, Don't don't copy this. Do not bring their worship into worshiping of me is what the most high is saying there. He's saying, I won't, I won't accept it. And, you know, Jesus doesn't change that. Jesus doesn't come to sanctify sinful behavior or sinful worship. He comes to sanctify sinners. Right. There's a difference, not sin. Verse 10, there shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, one who uses divination, one who practices witchcraft, or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer, or one who casts a spell, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. I'm going to stop there. So he's, he's covering every single base here of any kind of demonic worship practice and says, don't, don't do anything that even smells like this stuff. Mm-hmm. Do those specific sins sound familiar? Yep. Mm-hmm. It's the exact ones that Manasseh said. Yeah. The exact same ones. Every sin listed here without omission is exactly what we have described in the Manasseh account in both in both 2 Kings chapter 21 and 2 Chronicles chapter 33 when it describes his specific sins. Every sin links directly to Deuteronomy chapter 18 here. There's not not an added sin, not an omitted sin. It's right. precisely the same list. You have a couple words expanded to describe the specific the specific error of worship here, but it's the exact same worship practices where we have described mm-hmm. here. So we have a direct link to Manasseh right. pointing us right back to Deuteronomy 18. I will, I think I will say too, that I think it's, it's worth noting that, you know, in the first, in the first verse, verse nine, it says that he's, you know, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations that are already there. So the people that were already in the land that Jesus wiped out for his people to come into. He's saying, don't learn from them. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, and we have the same exact list that Manasseh, the sins that Manasseh can, you know, that Manasseh committed. But then also in his account, it goes on to say that you have led them to a place that is even worse than the nation's 
that I drove out. Right. So as bad as these were and as bad as the, the nations that, that were already there practicing this stuff, Manasseh led his people to be worse than them. Here's a question I have, and I don't have an answer for it because we really don't have an answer in the text, but do you think it's because the practices that he was committing were objectively worse? Or do you think what made it worse was that Manasseh and the people knew better because they had this warning given to them? Ooh, that's a uh, good question. Because the Canaanites didn't have this. They didn't have a, they didn't have a Mount Sinai experience. They didn't have a law. Right. They, right. they had, they had what we all have programmed into us that, that intrinsic understanding that this just isn't right. You know, right. I, I don't believe there's anybody on the planet that could, that could sacrifice a child in fire that wouldn't have something in their, in their soul saying this ain't right. Right. There's right. something programmed into you telling you this isn't right. So they had that, but they didn't have an actual, an actual experience with the most high telling them on paper, don't do this. So I guess that's my question. Was it the practice that was worse or the knowledge of, of knowing right better now. that was worse? Oh, that's a good point. I don't know if I have an answer. I think I lean toward just knowing better yeah. made it worse. In the words of Chris, that's for you to decide. Yeah. <laughs> you decide. <laughs> no, I've, I would tend to lean that way too, that it was they knew better. Manasseh knew better. I mean, Manasseh knew better because his father was better. Than that, yeah, and so and his nation knew, you know, better than that because his father led the nation better than that. Yeah, there so. were there were layers for Manasseh that he should have known better. Mm -hmm. Hezekiah taught him, surely taught taught him better. He had he had the law; it, it wasn't forgotten. He he obviously he obviously understood who Yahweh was in the law because he knew who to cry to when he was in Assyria. Yeah. He knew exactly who to right. cry out to. And he also had the prophets telling him, and they yeah. would have had an understanding of the law. So he had layers of, of, of warning telling him this isn't right. Right. I guess the, 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 to better frame the question in my mind would be, you know, if, if two people committed the same sin, who would be, who would be more wrong? The person that knew better or the person that didn't know better. Right. I think that's kind of what we're looking at. Right. Mm-hmm. And in that situation, it's the, the person that knew better. Yeah, know? I agree. Verse 12, for whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord. And because of these detestable things, the Lord your God will drive them, the Canaanites, out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. I want to pause there on that word blameless because it's interesting. It's tamim in Hebrew. And first I'll ask, is anybody perfect? Completely and totally and utterly perfect without sin? No. no. Easy answer, no. Nobody's perfect. I don't believe that's what's implied here by the word blameless. The tamim here, it actually means complete or unblemished, as in like an unblemished lamb for a sacrifice. It's actually the same word. I believe it's used to describe Job, if I remember right, and Abraham, neither of which were perfect or without sin. Nobody is. But this word is used to describe individuals who seek after the Most High. And I think that's what's really what we're, when you look at the contrast here, he's talking about worship practices that seek after demonic false gods compared to worship practice that seeks after the one true God. And then he uses this word tamim, blameless. Like what he's telling us here is seek after me. Purpose in your heart to seek after me and nothing or no one else. I think that's mm -hmm. what he's telling us here. Not that you won't ever make a mistake but that in your heart, you should be pursuing me, I think right. is what he's telling us. Verse 14, for those nations, 
which you shall dispossess. Listen to those who practice witchcraft and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do so. Not allowed you to do so. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet. Remember, he's, he's talking to Moses here. The context here is he's talking to Moses. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. We're going to come back to that. Okay. Okay. The prophet, this is the prophet like unto Moses. He's saying, I'm going to raise up. He's telling Moses, I will raise up a prophet like you. Future context. Mm -hmm. I want to round back to that. Verse 16. This is according to all that you asked of the Lord your God in Horeb, Sinai, on the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see this great fire anymore, or I will die. I don't want to dive into that because that's a pretty deep study, but I will say that comes from Exodus chapter 20. Mm-hmm. Maybe in the future we'll do a study on that, on what occurred there. Mm-hmm. But that's what he's referencing there is the events that transpired at Sinai in Exodus chapter 20 when he gives the Ten Commandments. Right, which we've gone over, not on this yes, podcast. Yes, but not, not a broken record. Not a mysteries. broken record, yep. So we may do that again in the future. Okay. Verse 17. The Lord said to me, they have spoken well, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. It shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. That's where we're going to stop in Deuteronomy 18. And I want to focus right now on the prophet like unto Moses. Who is that? Jesus. 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 Yeah. I believe it's a dual prophecy. I believe the, the quick fulfillment of it was Joshua. Mm-hmm. But Joshua is a picture of Jesus himself. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. So the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy is Jesus. And we actually have that proven to us in the New Testament. If you look at Acts chapter 3, when Peter gives his second sermon, he quotes this. He quotes, De- he quotes Deuteronomy 18 in reference to Jesus, and he point blank tells them that he is the prophet like unto Moses we've been waiting for. So that's not, that's not a contested point. That's, that's proven in the text. The prophet like unto Moses is Jesus himself. Right. Uh, just a couple points before we discuss that a little bit. I will put my words in his mouth. We have Jesus mirroring that in John chapter 12, verse 49, when he says that he only speaks the words of the Father. I only speak the words that the Father gives me. Mm-hmm. He says that. And we see that and we see that mirrored in Revelation chapter 12 verse 17. Just some for those of you listening some other other references to look into. Uh, Revelation 12:17 it says that 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 his followers are those who have both the testimony about Yeshua Jesus and those who obey his commandments. Mm-hmm. And his commandments come from the Father. So he speaks on behalf of the Father. I want to talk about what does this mean, a prophet like unto Moses? How do you take that? When you did reading on this, did you did you do any research on that specifically? Mm-mm, no. No, I mean, it just, to me, I always took it at face value that that he would, that he would be a man like Moses and that would lead the people like Moses did. Right. There are some interesting parallels. Some really interesting parallels. So we have Moses, like we talked about earlier. Moses goes to Sinai, and he doesn't invent the law. He receives the law from the Father and then mm-hmm. speaks that to the people, just like we're told that the prophet likened to Moses, Jesus will do. He receives the word from the Father and speaks it to the people. Right. You have Moses being the one that led the people out of bondage, 
So, so them coming out of Egypt, out of bondage, is a picture of us coming out of sin, of us being liberated from, from the bondage of sin and worldliness and being led into covenant, a marriage covenant with the Father at Sinai. We have that picture, too, with, with Calvary and, and the return of Jesus. You, know, you see what I'm saying? There are so many parallels between Moses and Jesus, it's uncanny. And so it's a very layered thing we have here, a prophet like unto Moses. We have mm-hmm. a we have a we have a, a long standing picture of Jesus in the life of Moses right. for the most part. You know, there are outliers there that 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 don't directly correlate, but the overarching narrative does. Right. Directly correlates. Then at one point too, that we go over the point that not only I mean, not only did he receive the word of God and speak it to the people, but at one point God actually spoke through Moses directly to the people. At one point in time, yeah, like he, he had, like he had, when he had come down, was it the second time he had come down and found them again doing things they weren't supposed to? The golden calf, rebellion. yeah, the golden calf, and he then spoke through Moses directly to them. Yeah, there there came a point where he would go and receive a word from the Father, and then he would come and speak that word to the people. Right, the Father was speaking directly to Moses, and Moses was relaying that message to the people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only one that, other than Moses, that was allowed to be directly in the presence of the Most High after they rebelled, and this is we're getting into the weeds a little bit, but was Joshua. Joshua actually remained in the tabernacle even after the rebellion, but nobody okay. else was allowed to come near because there was a shift that occurred. That's that's a different study. After they rebelled, there was there were problems. <laughs> there, yeah. was a, there was a yeah. shift that happened after that that it took Jesus coming to correct. That's okay. where you have the image of the torn veil that that shifted that occurred that separated the people us. From the Most High, Jesus corrects that. He serves as the bridge that brings us back to the Father again. Okay, right. And, and like again, Moses is a picture of this. But what I want to focus on for for today, before we move on, there's no break. Do you notice that he gives he gives this exhortation about not learning pagan worship practices, and 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 starkly warns the people to follow after him in his ways. In the in the context of Deuteronomy, he's he's teaching them to obey his instructions, his commandments, his laws. And not to emulate worship practices from the nations around them. And right after this, in the same breath, he gives a prophecy about Jesus. So we don't have this prophecy of Jesus here standing in as an antithesis of the law that was just given. He's tethered. You see Jesus, this prophecy of Jesus directly tethered to this instruction to obey the law and not learn false practices and and even even frames this prophecy as this 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 Messiah, he's gonna be like Moses. He's gonna be a lawgiver like Moses. He's gonna speak the the commandments of the Father to you, and you need to obey him. You need to obey him. Mm-hmm. Like that's a stark warning here too. You better obey. Right. Those who refuse to obey this coming prophet like unto Moses, those who refuse to obey Jesus, there's gonna be some serious consequences for that. If you don't repent, if you don't throw yourself on him. At his feet, right, and I like it. I, well, I not say like it. I, I think it's interesting to see that that you don't you know, like it. No, no, I like it. No. You like the whole thing. I like, the I whole like thing. all of it. I like it all. <laughs> right. <of it. laughs> I don't like the fact that they're doing this. Let me let me point that out. <laughs> the the in verse fourteen he says the nations that you um, dispossess listen to those who practice sorcery and divinate divination. Mm-hmm. So he's saying like this is still going to happen the people around you are still going to do this, but that doesn't mean you're okay to do it too. Right. The, I'm going to say that again in case it didn't sink in. The people around you are still going to do this stuff, but 
you're not permitted to do that. Not, well, you can mix it in. No, you are not permitted to do that. Mm -hmm. No compromise. And that kind of comes back to a little bit of what we talked about on the top half, being uncomfortable for Jesus, right? Sometimes being uncomfortable for Jesus is being different. Yep. You know, he, he doesn't call us to be like the world. He calls us to be different than the world, to be a light to them. And that's sort of what he's, he's calling the people here to be, to be a light to the nations, right? Th- their practices are bad. Show them a better way. Live a better way so that they'll, they'll see how much better my ways are, speaking on behalf of the Father here. They'll see how much better my ways are than Satan's ways, and they'll want my ways instead. If you're a faithful light, which ultimately we know they weren't. <laughs> right. You know, right. They, they were not a faithful light. Too often we fail to be faithful lights. In Jesus, though, when we, when we compromise and we try to be more like the world to fit in, we're not showing them a better way. And it comes back to that negative idea of standing out, of being set apart, of pursuing the things that the Father says pleases him and shunning the things that he calls abominable or detestable here. Those are strong. That's a strong word. He uses that word multiple times. It can be translated abominable also. And he says that those who, it's not just the practices those who throw themselves into those practices it, when they're unrepentant are abominable themselves. He says that here. They make themselves detestable by their practices. Manasseh, before he repented, was detestable. Right. I mean, would we agree based upon what we read last week before he oh, repented? Yeah. The Most High looked at him as detestable. Now, he was redeemable. Those are two different things. Right. You can be abominable and detestable and still be redeemable if you cry out to him. But it requires it requires a willingness to shift back to the Father's ways. Does that kind of make sense? Mm-hmm. And again, we have this tethered tethered with the prophecy about Jesus here. So, I want to carry this into the New Testament now because I think the argument would be, well, things have changed, right? Now that we have right. Jesus, now there's a shift. So we can we can ignore the context of this prophecy because it's different now. Jesus is the antithesis of law. So that's where I want to go to Mark seven. You referenced that earlier. So we're going to see if he is the antithesis of law or not. Say it one time for the people in the back. Mark what? Seven. Seven one. Yeah, we can just read through the whole thing. Since Chris referenced the the context, I was going to start in six, but we'll go ahead and just briefly read through the context. I think it is important. Let me say that Carl gave us the scriptures for today. But I didn't read them. I didn't either. So I was. Purely, I'm not disappointed. It was, it was purely coincidental. It's kind of why I'm so quiet. I didn't prepare at all. No, I'm not. just kind of sitting well, back and learning. Yeah, that's all right. My my issue is sometimes I get too. I I I I try to limit myself to the time that I give myself. So if I only give myself a couple of days, and I might read through it, and then look at a couple of other things. But if I read too much. And it's like, oh, we're going to be here for like two hours. <laughs> yeah, I got a lot to unpack here. <laughs> so before we read this, I want to frame this. You know, a, a couple of the, the main arguments about, about the law in the person of Jesus is, is either that he, he, he speaks a different law, so it's completely contrary to everything you read previous to Matthew. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's an entirely different law, and he spoke against it, and that's based upon the premise that the Pharisees were perfectly obeying the law, and he chastised the Pharisees for obeying the law. So the 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 prevailing view of Jesus, oh, the old laws, right? Yes, In the that old sense. yes, the old the Old Testament, yeah. what we would call the Old Testament laws. 
uh, the prevailing view is that the Pharisees were, were faithfully obeying the laws given at Sinai, and Jesus chastises them for that, which, which implies that Jesus viewed disobeying the law as good and obeying the law as bad, mm-hmm. which disagrees with everything you will read to the left of Matthew. Everything in the law of Moses, everything in every prophet, I don't care which prophet you pick, pick a prophet at random, read it, and tell me if they, if they imply in any way, shape, or form that obeying the law is a bad thing and disobeying is a good thing. You won't find it. Even the prophets that are speaking future context about events that haven't occurred yet, they always frame it as obeying God good, disobeying God bad. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the summary of every prophet ever, ever, ever put into writing in the Bible. And that's the way it Obey good, disobey bad. I was going to say, that's the way it generally plays out. Disobey God, bad. Obey God, good. Yeah. yeah. The way we get around this in theology is that, well, the law that, that Jesus gives is a different law. Yeah. And that's why we need to look at Mark 7 to see if that's true. Does he stand against the law of, of God as given through Moses, or does he defend it? And that's what we're going to look at here. Hmm. So starting in verse 1, the Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him, Jesus, when they had come from Jerusalem, and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the, quote, tradition of the elders. Not the law of God, not even the law of Moses, the tradition of the elders. Mm -hmm. That is not the law. Most of us read that and we think that that's just a phrase to refer to the biblical law. It's not. It's, it's what we would call today as the Talmud. They called it, they called it the tradition of the elders then or the oral law. In subsequent centuries, they put it into writing, and it's this massive catalog called the Talmud. Encyclopedia Britannica-sized catalog of additional laws that the rabbis had added on top of the biblical law. So Mm -hmm. they were adding to the law of God, which, by the way, is a sin. We're told in the biblical law, you shall not add to nor take away from this law. They were sinning. Adding to the law is just as sinful as subtracting from the law equally. That command is one sentence. You shall not add to nor nor subtract from. It's equally sinful. So what we have framed here is this ritualistic hand washing that they were doing is not in your Bible. Mm-hmm. It's not there. Right. Search for it all day long. Search for it all week, all, all month, all year. You won't find it. Right. It's not a biblical commandment. They had added this. Right. And, well, and I'm going to add this little bit to that, that they like there's nothing to say like them washing their hands in a ritual way was sinful it was the fact that they had taken that law and put their law is equal to god's law that's yes. that that's the when when you say adding to god's law i feel like like some people would say well washing your hands is good for sanitation reasons. There's nothing, there's no sinful nature there, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You should wash your hands before you eat because of microbes. Right. But when you add that, a a, rate, add that rule in direct, like my law is as good as God's law. Then you're adding to God. You're trying to put your law on the same level as God's law and add to it. And that's the sin. The moment the Pharisees stated 
this is a commandment of God, and you have to obey this to be clean in the, in the sight of the Most High, that's when it became a sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When they when they pushed that on the people and said this is a command, it became sin. Like they're <clears throat> like okay, I don't really want to call it ritual ritual, but like there's kind of certain things that people do before they do a certain thing, mm-hmm. you know. But like whenever you start forcing it on other people and become, um, you're not holy or you're not good enough unless you do these things then that's kind of a, I, I, that's the way I see this. And, oh, where is it? Um, mine says, as required by their ancient ancient traditions. So, yeah, and, tradition word is the, the yeah, parallel, and, yeah. You know, there's a lot of those things that have kind of still, still happen now, you know, um, and I don't, I'm getting to the point now to where I start seeing certain things happen. And I'm like, is that right? Is that okay? Um, And I don't really know sometimes where to go to find it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, so like I, you know, I really have to watch, um, you know, where I go with certain things. I mean, but, um, Whenever it comes to the old, the old stuff, I don't know anything about it. Any church that I've ever been to or anything mm-hmm. else have, I mean, it's always usually, you know, New Testament, you know, kind of just trying to show you the way a little bit. The Old Testament doesn't really. The foundation's rarely preached on, isn't it? Right. Yeah. And um, I mean, my, I'm kind of up in the air about this one. That's kind of why I've been so quiet because I'm just trying to learn, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I'm trying to see what your, what your guys' aspects are and everything. Right. But I do want to say, I'm glad you brought that up. Tradition isn't wrong. It's when you, it's when you foist it on somebody else and say, if you don't do this, you're not a real believer. That's when it becomes wrong. Right. And that's essentially what the Pharisees yeah. were guilty of here. That It's not the traditions that were bad. It was their attitude of, of elevating, like Chris said, elevating it to equal standing with the commandments breathed out from the mouth of the Father. That's when it became bad. Right. Because yep. they were essentially accusing the disciples here of being, and, and Jesus himself, of being false because they weren't, they weren't practicing these traditions that they had elevated is essentially what we have, what we have presented to us here. And these traditions weren't biblical. And I mean, something as simple as washing your hands. I mean, I can see that, but like there's certain things that maybe somebody does before they do a certain thing for God, Mm -hmm. you know, and if they end up becoming into a, a, a place of, um, leadership or something like that. And then they start forcing that on other people, you know, but that may have been God having them do that to teach them something that they needed to learn, you know, and then turn around and then have that on because, Oh, well I learned this way. You need to learn that way too. Right. You know, but I, it's, it's hard. <laughs> like, yeah. because I mean, I know you guys are always like, you guys kind of do the whole, you're, you're stuck back then. And then you talk about that back then. I always try to like place it into my life. I, mm-hmm, I place right. it into my now. And I don't know. I, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to say, I, it's, it's hard to pick 
tradition out from law when 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 there's so many traditions that have been ground into our head as laws like and i'll give you just kind of a small example from my life was you know i grew up southern baptist and i know we're kind of getting off subject here but it's just it's just a small example um and like the only worship music that is allowed is straight hymns yeah like if you sing anything other than a hymn it, you're sinning right like there's no drum sets yeah no drum <laughs> yeah. sets no guitars if you praise god any other way than just straight singing from a hymn book to mm-hmm. a piano you're sinning it's right. sin and it's like so in that situation are you any better than these pharisees saying that me praising my god through my voice and the way that the things that that inspire me. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. is are you any better than these Pharisees? Right. And it's hard to pick that stuff out because we, there's so many, so many different traditions and so many different churches that a newcomer might come in and say, well, what, how do I pick out what's actually taught in law versus what's taught by tradition? Yeah. And that's, right. that's what I want to clarify. The reason I picked out this account is because I want to show that Jesus isn't in conflict with the commandments given by the Father himself. Right. He's not saying that tradition's bad. He's not saying that traditions that teach you about the Father are bad. You know, every family has traditions. Mm-hmm. Right. He's not saying that's wrong. What he is saying is that, and we'll see that as we as we go through here, but what he is saying is if you elevate those traditions as equal to the word of the Father, right. and you try to apply that as equal commandment, to other people, then it becomes wrong. Right, right. Or if you take away the commands, you, you you take tradition. We'll see this in a second. If you take your traditions or your theologies and you use that to displace the commands of the Father, so you you move your tradition in and take a take one of the Ten Commandments, for example, and say, oh, we'll snatch that out, throw it to the side, and we'll put this tradition in here instead. That's a sin. You've just taken away from the from the from the law. Right. And that's essentially what we'll see. We'll we'll continue reading, but we'll see how Jesus handles this okay. with this specific issue. Where'd I leave off? Okay, verse five. five. Verse four. I stopped at tradition well, of the elders. Yeah. Oh, my bad. I thought we read four. My bad. He just, he, this is Mark clarifying this, this tradition that they had. So, and when they, when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. Again, none of this is biblical. The Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? Now, I believe 100% they came, they came at him. This wasn't a genuine heartfelt question. No. This was accusatory. And you see that in, in Jesus' response. His response really clarifies the intent the Pharisees had here. They were trying to trap him. Right. And Jesus said to them, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written i'm going to read the prophecy from isaiah in a second but that word hypocrites that's bad enough on on the face of it right right Mm -hmm. just the word hypocrite doesn't carry a pleasant undertone no it's hypocrites in greek and it's literally it means a pretender but it's actually a a an actor's term it's a reference to greek playwriting and it's actually a reference to somebody who takes a mask and puts it on to pretend to be somebody they're not underneath. 
Mm-hmm. That's what he accused the Pharisees of being here. Somebody who, who intentionally puts on a mask as a show for those around him to pretend to be somebody they're not on the inside. Hmm. And my understanding is the Pharisees had a very negative view of like Greek and Roman plays. They wouldn't attend one, which means that this would have been exceptionally insulting to them. Mm. Jesus insulted them on purpose here. He wasn't, he wasn't trying to, to play softball with them. Right. Right. This was a hardball he threw at them. And then it gets even worse with the, with the specific reference from Isaiah. He, pro, he, he quotes to him. He says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. I want to repeat that last part because this clarifies the issue here. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. So they are attempting to worship God. That's the context of this reference from Isaiah, which is Isaiah chapter 29, by the way. They claim to serve him. They even claim his name, and they even outwardly worship him. But they worship him with practices that are invented by men, Mm -hmm. that aren't derived from the law, that aren't derived from the commandments given by the Father on how to worship him and how to approach him. They approach him, but they approach him using the, the, the practices that they've invented or that they've learned from their neighbors, which reminds me of what we just read in Deuteronomy 18. Don't learn the precepts of men when it comes to approaching me. Approach me the way I tell you to, and they're not. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what Jesus is accusing these Pharisees of doing. Mm-hmm. They claim the name of God. They claim to worship him, but they're using their own man-made practices to do so and displacing the commandments. And St. Mine says, uh, their worship is farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. That's Honestly, I think that's a better translation because it mm-hmm. clarifies it a little bit better. Mm-hmm. They're taking their own invented commands and pretending like they're commands from God. Verse 8, neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. So he goes out, Jesus goes out of his way to clarify the situation here so that nobody confuses what he's saying. Right. Multiple times, layers here. He says yeah. the issue here is that you're taking your tradition and you're replacing the commandments of God with your tradition. Yeah. Mine says you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. Yes. And remember. You've the, let go of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Remember the context here. They did not have the book of Matthew or the, the book of Mark or any of the letters. All they had was what we call the Old Testament. Right. When he says the commandments of God— there's no confusing what he's talking about. Mm-hmm, he's right. talking about the Ten Commandments and the explanatory statutes given at Sinai. That's what he's talking about. The Ten Commandments on tablets of stone. That's what he's talking about. And he actually clarifies that because the example he uses is from the Ten Commandments. We'll see here in a second. And see, isn't it back then, like, if you were, you know, I guess Christian or whatever, like, you knew the Bible front and back. Like, you knew it good back then. These Pharisees probably would have, yes. Yeah. I mean, they were learning it in the synagogues and they had their Torah scrolls. Yeah, they were learning it. The common person, maybe not, you know, yeah, they, right. they would have they would have had to depend on, you know, going to to weekly worship and hearing it read. Right. But realistically, that's not much different than what we see most believers today. Most believers do have a Bible, but right. do most believers read it? Probably right. not. Most of what, what modern believers get is what they hear preached to them on Sunday, which is probably similar for, for, for most believers back then as well. But these Pharisees were well-studied. They knew. Right. right. And that's why I think it's 
that's why Jesus is really passionate here. Is yeah. he, you're you're the people that people look to. Right. You're you're teaching your traditions over my God, over my over my father's law. Right. It's and it goes yeah. back to what we talked about earlier with Manasseh and what made his sin worse. Was it the mm-hmm. sin itself or the fact that he knew better? Yeah. And I think we could link that with the Pharisees here. Was it that they were more sinful than the prostitutes and the tax collectors? No, but they knew better. They probably knew better than the average tax collector or prostitute did. They weren't reading it. They weren't studying the Torah their entire life. Right. These Pharisees were though. Yeah. They knew that it said don't add to or take away from. They knew that very well. They did it anyway because it made them look more. It, they they got to they got to to have their cake and eat it too, right? right? They could look righteous to all the people. They could get the places of honor at all the at all the festivals, but then they could still do things their own way. Mm-hmm. That's what the Pharisees were guilty of here. Right. And they're harshly chastised for this. Right. And it honestly gets worse as we go along. So then he says in verse nine, Jesus was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. Out of his way to define the issue. Yeah, as I say, he's doubling down on it there. Yeah. Yeah. That word setting aside, that phrase setting aside is from the Greek at the teo, and it means to make of no effect. Or to ignore it. Yeah. But <laughs> you skillfully step sidestep God's law in order to hold your own traditions. Mm-hmm. Skillfully sidestep. That's a good that's a good phrasing. It is. Yeah. And let's put this in a modern context. You are experts at ignoring the commandments of God in order to keep your theology. We have whole theologies built around the concept of setting the law of God aside. Yep. It's the exact same sin the Pharisees were guilty of here. We just say that it's okay now because Jesus tells us we can. What's Jesus telling us here? Is Jesus telling us we can? Nope. Or is he harshly, harshly crazy? Like, this doesn't, this doesn't paint the picture of, yeah, this is what you're doing now, but just give it a couple years, guys, and it'll be okay. A couple years, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on the cross. I'm going to die. And then after that, you can do all this stuff because it's going to be okay to set the commandments of God aside. Would he be the, would he be this passionate about it if that was his plan? Mm-hmm. If his if his plan was in just two years to give everybody an excuse to ignore the Father's commandments, why would he be this passionate and harsh with people that were guilty of precisely that same thing? Mm-hmm. Calls them hypocrites. He quotes Isaiah, which is a very harsh citation from Isaiah, and then he repeats over and over again that the issue was they were setting aside the commandments of God in favor of their own tradition. He's, he, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. There's passion here. He's angry about this. I know we're just reading this as words on a page, but honestly, I see anger here. Yeah, He's right. angry at them for what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Not just because they're ignoring the commandments of God, by the way, but because they're, they're, they're hypocrites in doing it. They're, they're, I, they're beating down the people and elevating themselves above the people, but then not even obeying themselves. Right. I think it sets, sets the mood right in the very beginning you hypocrites. Yeah. Yeah. And mine, because, mine even has exclamation points. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's one of those things where it's like, you ever start a conversation and somebody goes, Hey, we got to talk. Oh yeah. And it's like, instantly you're like, this isn't going to be good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> when, when Jesus opens or, up the, the conversation of, you are hypocrites. Mm-hmm. Everybody in there was like, this is not going to go good. I bet you could have heard a pin drop. Yeah. Oh Yeah. Then he clarifies, he gives an example. Verse 10, for Moses said, honor your father and your mother, 
and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It's one of the big ten. Mm-hmm. Which again, I think it's it's poetic that he pulled one of in case you were in case even after the second time that he doubled down on this is my father's law as given through Moses. He actually pulls one of the big ten that Moses gave. And look like, at look at I'm sorry, go ahead. God, no, yeah. And look at which one he pulls. What's that specific commandment, honor your father and your mother, what's that a picture of really? I mean, yes, honor your human father and mother, but yeah. at a spiritual level, what's that command ultimately telling us? Honor your father. Honor yeah. him. Honor your yeah. father. Right. I think I think he pulled he could have pulled any of the Ten Commandments and found it found an example to use of how they sidestep it. Right. He pulled this one specifically with intent. Right. I believe he was telling the Pharisees, you don't, not only do you not honor your human father and mother, you're not honoring the father. Right. Verse 11, but you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have that would have, that would help you as Corban, that, that is to say given to God, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother. Can, can we stop there real quick? Mm-hmm. I think it's important to remember here too, that. I think when we hear the command, honor thy father and mother, a lot of people get this misconception that that just means do whatever your father and mother say. When in this, in, in the context of the old Testament, it was, you know, we do things differently now in the fact where we live our lives to save for our children and grandchildren and give them a head start. This was set up where you had sons and daughters so they could take care of you in your old age. It was set. God designed it to where you, the old, the old people were to rest while the young people took over the farms and the businesses and took care of their elders. Mm-hmm. So, and, and so that's where in this, when stark reality is all those Pharisees that were supposed to be taking what their fathers had put aside for them. They now say, you don't get this because this is actually, this is the money or this is whatever that is going back to help God. When in real, when reality, what they're doing is they're keeping it for themselves. Yeah. Mm. And neglecting. Yeah. That's important. They're neglecting. Yeah. They're neglecting their elders and, and using their law of Corbin as an excuse to, to neglect their elders but then saying that they're praising God with that Corbin when they're really not, they're just piling it up for themselves. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you have compound sin here where, you know, and, and that's where I think it's important to remember when this says honor thy father and mother, that's what God, God intentionally set that up as, I mean, it's not the, only, again, it's not the only implication of that law, but it's one of the things that's worth noting. So, yeah, it's the physical, the physical purpose is for caretaking, and you know they were neglecting. Right. And this is more than just simple disrespect. And using and using their laws to 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 neglect. Yeah, to displace one of the big ten commandments. Yep. And again, it's very poetic. It's poetic of what how they're treating the father. They're telling the father, "We're going to do these things to honor you, God, but we're going to neglect you over here in the way that you say that we should honor you." They're setting the father aside. It's not just that they're setting the commandments aside. They're setting the father aside to do it. It's a very, very dangerous place they're at, mm-hmm. which is why I think Jesus is so harsh because it's the only way to get through to him, right? 
Because, right. you know, they're in the most dangerous place you can possibly be. I think we we alluded to it a little bit last week, but, you know, the 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 prostitutes and tax collectors, they were well aware of how sinful they were. These Pharisees have a false sense of self-righteousness. It's very hard to get somebody who genuinely believes they are 100% righteous in what they're doing to understand they need to repent. It's very yeah. hard to get that person to come to a place where they know they need to repent which is why he has to be so harsh and so critical and, and use specific examples to try to get through to at least one of them, maybe that there's something wrong here. Mm-hmm. Something isn't right. We've gone off the rails, right? Right. Verse 13. And that's where we're going to stop for this account. Thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down and you do many things such as that. So he's saying, this isn't the only, the only way you do this. This is just the example I'm choosing to use because it's very symbolic. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's, yeah. It's like a hot knife. Mm-hmm. And that word invalidating is akaruho, and it means basically the same thing as atheteo, to set aside, make of no effect, and all cancel out. Choose choose your word to throw in there. Mm-hmm. They're they're ignoring the commandments given by the Father in favor of their own attitudes and ideas. Mm-hmm. So does this sound like a Jesus who stands in conflict with the law? of the father or does it stand does it sound like a prophet like unto moses who's passionate about the word that comes out the words that come out of the father's mouth mm-hmm. and whose purpose yeah. is to relay those words to us to express to us how important they are so we see just like in deuteronomy 18 where you have a direct link a direct correlation between this prophecy about jesus and this exhortation to seek after righteousness to seek to be blameless you see him directly linking himself with this here too mm-hmm. with a people group that were very much like the Manasseh pre-repentance, right? right? And him trying to get through to him that this isn't the way to go. This isn't right. You've got to repent. The father's ways matter. He wouldn't have said it if it didn't matter because he is a good, good father and he doesn't give it out of malevolence. He gives it out of benevolence. There's a big difference. And grace covers sinning against the law. It doesn't give us an excuse to continue willfully sinning. That's very important to understand. And that's what he's trying to tell us here. It's not, an, it's not an excuse to live and wallow in sin. There's mm-hmm. a covering for when you mess up, and you will, believe me, you'll keep messing up. <laughs> no, I do. Maybe some of you listening are more perfect than I am. <laughs> Thank God for grace. But that doesn't mean that, we, we, that we, we sear our conscience to the sins that we're committing against the law like these Pharisees had, because that's, that's the ultimate point here. They had become so self-righteous in their tradition, they'd seared their own conscience. They made themselves feel like they were righteous for disobeying the Father. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think we're very near that point in, in, in our church theology, that we feel like we're so freed from the law that it's almost like an act of righteousness to willfully disobey it. Right? It's one thing to not believe certain things are relevant anymore. It's another thing to go out of our way to live in contrast to it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like I say, we could get into a deep, deep study on the implications of the cross and, and, and what did shift, things did shift. But I'm telling you, the Ten Commandments didn't shift. That's, that's something that we should all be able to agree on. The Ten Commandments did not shift. The explanation on how to apply the Ten Commandments did not shift. That is, that is a foundational principle that Jesus defends here. Yeah. There's a reason he, yeah. he, of all the commandments he could have pulled, he pulled one of the Big Ten. And, and one of the Big Ten that points directly to honoring the Father. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's a right. reason he did that. Right. And we need to be very, very cautious in how we handle the biblical text. Any thoughts on that before I go to, there's one verse I want to point to in Acts 15. Cause the next argument would be 
well, Jesus is, and I've heard this, Jesus is only talking to the Jews, so we don't have to listen to him. I've actually <laughs> heard this argument that he's yeah. only talking to the Jews. We can ignore the words of Jesus. We can go past that to Acts and the letters written by Paul. Mm-hmm. And even if our understanding of Acts and Paul, if our misunderstanding is in conflict with what Jesus says, ignore what Jesus says. My argument is Jesus is your savior. <laughs> Jesus is your redeemer. His word should be top of the pile, right? right? Your understanding of everything else should be built around a clear understanding of what Jesus said, yep. not the opposite, right. right? So the argument would be that Calvary changed things. So after Calvary, we can ignore this. Mark 7 is no longer relevant. I want to point to something in Acts chapter 15 that I think destroys that narrative. And it's something that's typically pointed to by most Christians, but they ignore a very important verse at the end of this decision. I think Chris already knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, I was going to say, I also, that I have, we could probably extend this podcast by another hour just by the yeah, we're next, already running along. <laughs> by the next few verses. So I was kind of disappointed you stopped where you did, but I can see why we did. <laughs> I had planned on going past that if we weren't running long. I think what we'll do, because those next few verses are important. Right. Because they're very, mis- they're very, very badly mishandled. Mishandled, exactly. One That's... verse in particular. I think next week, at least in our top half, before we get into the the, the main Bible study next week, we'll at least we'll at least try to hit on it. Superficially cover that because I think it is important. Right on. Sounds like a good opener. But Acts chapter fifteen is the Council of Jerusalem. So it's this decision that is brought to to the Council at Jerusalem, the the church there on how to handle Gentile believers coming into the faith. The reason this was such a controversy is because you have to understand the context for these Gentile believers. They weren't versed in biblical, the biblical law. Most of them have probably never heard of it. You know what I mean? They never read it. It's not like they understood anything about the commandments. These Gentiles were coming out of paganism, right? This is Greece we're talking about. They were coming out of, of really vile pagan cults. Like when you look at places like mm-hmm. Ephesus and the Artemis cult, it's just, vile what was going on there so these these converts were coming out of that and they'd been raised in it like we need to understand the context for them these people these people had been raised in paganism so unlearning those things very hard Mm -hmm. right and it takes time and i think what what you see in the jerusalem council decision here is being compassionate about the time it takes to unlearn bad practice right some of the jewish believers weren't being compassionate about the process and they were expecting them to be perfect day one or be kicked out of the church. They were, they were being pharisaical, right? They were, they were dealing with Pharisee converts. that they, they did believe in Jesus. They were saved, but they were applying things onto the Gentiles in a harsh manner that they shouldn't have been. They should have been more compassionate. And that's essentially what this decision is about is, is, is what, do we, what do we expect from the Gentiles? Do they have to be circumcised or you know, what do they have to obey? You, you know what I mean? Right. What does it look like? To be a Christian, day one for a Gentile believer is essentially what this whole decision is about. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. I'm not going to go through the whole thing because it would take a while, but there's one specific part I want to look at toward the end. Okay, starting in verse 19, and I'm going to read through 21. And this is this is the leader of the Jerusalem Council giving his decision on in a letter that's going to be sent to these churches. Therefore, it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, so don't overburden them, but that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication 
and from what is strangled and from blood. I pause there. Why would he specify those specific sins? Because he's saying day one, day one, they need to turn away from these specific things. Why would he say that? Because they were probably the ones that were most people were most confused by. I would argue it links back to Deuteronomy 18 and false worship. When you study out the way most of these pagan cults were in ancient Greece, these are the practices that they would use. They would have ritual, they would ritualistically drink blood because they believed that you received like some sort of weird metaphysical endowment from drinking blood. Very creepy stuff. Uh, they would have uh, ritual orgies. So fornication, we have that covered here, uh, obviously contaminated by idols. Everything that you have listed here is directly related to the worship practices that were involved in these pagan cults in ancient Greece. So essentially what James is saying here is the same thing we see in Deuteronomy 18. All the laws specified in Deuteronomy 18 are related to not learning the pagan practices of the nations, mm-hmm. right? Deuteronomy 18 isn't an exhaustive list of, of every expectation the Father has. It's specific to worship me the right way. Don't adopt pagan worship practices. At least start there. <laughs> if you pursue me and try to worship me the right way, I'll meet you, I'll meet you where you're at. I'll All work right. with you. Right. Just don't adopt these practices. James is mirroring. Is, is mirroring. That's a hard word to say, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mirroring. <laughs> He's mirroring what we see in Deuteronomy 18 here with this decision. Unlearn these specific practices. Don't go back to your pagan shrines and your pagan temples and engage in, in ritualistic idol worship. Stop that right now. Where this is sort of mishandled is I've, you know, I've heard this preached, so this isn't coming out of, of, out of the clear blue sky, is that these are the laws that are relevant to Gentiles and no other laws are relevant to Gentiles. So that's all we have to obey forever. Murder isn't listed here. <laughs> right. Problem number one with that is that murder is a very important commandment, I would say. And I would say that probably still relevant to Christians. Right. James doesn't list murder here. And the reason he doesn't list murder here is because that wasn't a practice that was prevalent in idol worship at the time. The, the practices he lists are. So he's listing out things that are, that are an issue with these specific Gentile converts. Mm-hmm. These are things that it, essentially what he's saying, this will snare you. It's a trap of the devil. Turn away from it. Don't let the devil snare you back into your idol worship again because he'll try to reel you back in because he's a fly fisherman. He's going to try to lure you back. You know what I mean? Right. You don't want to be lured by him. Stay away from it. Then he says something really important in verse 21 that we always tend to ignore. And remember, this is in the context of a decision sent to Gentile believers on how they should practice their faith as believers in Jesus. For Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him, meaning the law, since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Why would he say that? In a decision specific to how Gentile believers are to learn and practice their Christian faith, why would he say that at the end of the letter? Because he's, I, I believe that like he's saying, day one, these are the things that you do. And then from then on, then you learn the law of Moses from there on, because it's preached on. The law of Moses is preached on. You might not know it all, but P's and Q's, this is what you do day one. And then you learn everything else as, as you go. As you go. So it's the it's the the people that have the that turning from those things day one is the 
is the same as the prodigal son returning home, leaving mm-hmm. from where he was and turning home from the NASA coming back into his to to his into to his <laughs> sorry, I'm losing my words to his city and cleaning out all the idols. Mm-hmm. It's the act of redemption. Right. This is what I'm doing day one to show like that I'm serious, that I'm serious. And then, then I learn everything else as I go from there. And again, that act doesn't save him. What saved him was, was the most High moving on his behalf right. in the prison cell. But then he walked with the most High to first thing he did take out the idols. Yeah. I mean, that's this, essentially what the, James is saying. They want to right. take the idols out. Yeah. And this is, yeah. And this is where, you know, that's where he said, we will not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. So these are people that have already confessed God and to be in their hearts and they want to follow him, you know, and they've had a change of heart, but they're this, these are, well, how does what does that look like in our daily life now? Right. Cause we don't know. We don't know what that looks like. And he said, okay, day one, this is what you do. And then <laughs> catch the sermon next next Sunday in the synagogue. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's, yeah. that's what he's saying. These are the things you do right now. And then from here on you learn. Yeah. And it would have been Saturday just to clarify, because well, he says the yeah. Sabbath, that so would be Saturday. But the, the point is he's saying, respect the process, right? Turn right. away from idolatry because God doesn't accept that. He doesn't accept idolatry. He never has. He never will. He wants us to turn away from idol worship and then just respect the process. It's the same mm-hmm. as, as, you know, you or I, he, he doesn't work on every issue in our heart the first day that we come to Jesus. It's a process right. and it takes years for a lot of us. It did for me. I think yeah. you've expressed that it did for you oh, as well, yeah. right, Sonny? I mean, there's been so many different ways of having, God works on me in small bits and there's certain things that I've worked on that I've gotten better on. There's certain things that I'm still working on. There's certain things that I already know that I need to work on, but that's going to be a later date, <laughs> right. you know? And, um, I mean, it's, it, we're talking, I mean, I was saved whenever I was seven and learned how to sin and <laughs> kept sinning and kept sinning and kept sinning. And, you know, um, about 30 years old, was whenever I really kind of started just working on it. Um, so I had a lot of years of, of learning the world and learning the sin and, and then coming to a realization of, Hey, I need to, I need to change. And, and years of unlearning the world and then learning the sin, right? Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I learned young of, of God's love of God's grace and, and, you know, except for, you know, I wasn't mentally, um, prepared for that. Mm-hmm. And I think God had a different path for me and ended up becoming who I am today. And now I, I have a, uh, I guess more of a appreciation and knowing what the world can do to you, knowing what the world has to offer. And it's not so good. <laughs> well, now you have a testimony and you can help others, you know, out of that yeah. same dark pit that you were in, you know, I think that's, that's why he'll let us walk those roads sometimes. Yeah. So, and, um, you know, I, I've, I've never, I guess, yeah, maybe, I guess I have, I was going to say, I've never really idolized anything, but I guess I have actually, um, I've, I've used certain things to idolize and put my focus into them instead of, you know, God mm-hmm. more and more and more every day. And, 
um, you know, there's convictions that happen and convictions that I, I have at this moment actually. But, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a process and it's a battle and, you know, the, um, the due time of, of letting God work on you, letting God work through you and, uh, you know, seeing the times whenever he's saying, Hey, this is a little something maybe you need to kind of give to me. Yeah. Maybe this is a little something that maybe you need to quit doing. Maybe this is a little something that, uh, I need you to understand that this ain't right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, and those things happen every single day, every single week. Um, sometimes I kind of, Oh, we'll put that one on the back burner. <laughs> I don't want to deal with that one yet. <laughs> and it, I mean, I need a little bit more help with that one. Yeah, <laughs> I need. You know, I, uh, I, and that's the thing is, you know, it it's a process. And I mean, I know a lot of people. They see me. I'm a tattooed heathen. You know what I mean? I mean, they look at me and they're like, "That guy can't ever do any." You know, that guy ain't a Christian. That guy, and. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that because that was actually one of the if if I if the topic ran short this morning it was that's one of the things that's been in the back of my mind is people that 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 do just that that say that person can't be a Christian right it's what and, the Pharisees were doing so we just yeah. read about or yeah. read read about read about and um, you know and that's I mean that's you know I almost feel like that sometimes you know I feel like hey. You know, somebody ain't going to listen to me because, you know, I look the way that I do or I dress the way that I do mm -hmm. or I talk the way I do. They might hear me cuss. They might hear me, you know, this, that, or the other. You know, I'm still trying to learn. I'm still trying to get myself together enough to where I can even function <laughs> daily sometimes. Right. <laughs> you know. That's but, probably most of us if we're being honest. I mean, for real. And I... I struggle with all kinds of stuff and this is, this is one of them. I mean, because even though it's simpler than me putting an idol up or drinking blood or, you know what I mean? I still have certain things that I do that are in this context mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. day in, day out. And it's, and it's, I have to relearn. I have to readjust, And, you know, like you said, it's going to take years for me to, for, for anybody to relearn our lives, yes. relearn the way that God wants us to live. Right. And it doesn't, I, I feel like God's going to teach me. God's going to show me in different ways than he would somebody else. Mm -hmm. And this is personal. I mean, yes. And the way that I see it, the way that I feel it, the way that anything ends up becoming, um, a red flag saying, Hey, maybe you need to work on this. Maybe you need to control this a little bit better. Maybe you need to keep quiet. Like today was a keep quiet day for me. And right. I need to, I needed to see some things and, and I have some things that I'm kind of battling with and, and, uh, you know, it, it comes down to, I'm learning. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's an everyday process. And it's an everyday deal. And um, I'm, I don't feel the conviction as bad as, 
okay, I feel convicted, but I don't feel condemned. Yeah, right. that's a good way to put it. And my, because uh, used that's to, a beautiful it, way to put it. it if I, it used to. That should be a t-shirt. Yeah, we're going to make it. Sorry, go ahead. No, we're going to make that a t-shirt. And like, I, I don't, I don't feel condemned and it don't put me in a pit anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. Now it's a conviction and it's like, Hey, maybe you're thinking about this wrong. Maybe you're leading in a way that you don't need to. Mm-hmm. And now it's, it's different. And I know I feel like that's whenever I know that God changed me, mm-hmm. you know, God said, Hey, it's your time. It's your time to start going this way. Mm-hmm. And whenever I didn't feel the, what did I just say? <laughs> condemned. Yeah. Uh, whenever I didn't feel condemned because that, that was the change. Mm-hmm. Right. And not to take away from, from what you said and just add to it that I think like the, the underlying theme here to this, to this, this set of verses is you don't have to be perfect. Yeah. Like it's to, to, to come to God. Like that's like, I'm going to, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase something that I've, I heard this past week that struck me really hard is, you know, you, you don't have to be perfect to come to the Lord and whoever made you feel that way was wrong. Like it's, Mm -hmm. you come to God to, to pursue that perfectness, yeah. not the other way around. Yeah. It's not, right. it's so well, and it's never perfect. I mean, right. It's, it's a gradual process until the day we, yeah, that's, get that's called what home. It's, yeah, it's the Absolutely pursuit. Right. Yeah. It's and the pursuit of it. It's, I mean, there's, and that's also why it's called the living word because like we had talked about before, you know, one thing can mean one thing at one point in our life, and then another, the same thing can end up meaning something completely different, yeah. you know, at another point in our life, 10 years later, 20 years later. Um, but yeah, I I wish people understood a lot better that you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to do everything right all at one time. Because I feel like that's that's the way a lot of people end up feeling, or whenever they're whenever they're saved, and then they feel like um, everything has to be all at once. It leads to discouragement. Yeah, and it leads to it leads to um, just a utter just heartbreak. Like yep. it, you feel like you're not good enough. Mm-hmm. You feel like you're you you can't do this, except for what you don't really understand is that you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to do all these things at once. These things are things that God wants you to give to Him. Mm-hmm. And once you once you learn that God wants you to give it to Him, then He'll work on you. Like yes, and everybody's different. Everybody's situation is completely different. And some one person, he might take it away right from the get go. I mean, I've seen people uh, stop smoking and not ever touch it again and not ever think about it again. I've seen alcohol, you know, um, drugs. I've seen, you know, um, 
lust and different other things. I've seen God take away those things and it's never a problem again. Yeah. And other people have to work on it over time though. Yeah. And other people, they, you know, it's a different demon form. It's a different battle form. So, um, you know, the biggest thing is, is just take it easy. Don't, don't overdo yourself. Don't overthink it too much and just keep going. Well, I think, and I really think that's the underlying theme here of this, this decision and acts conviction and time. I think what James is saying here is respect conviction and time Mm -hmm. come out of, come out of the temples, come out of the idol worship day one and let the spirit work on these people over time. Let the spirit convict them individually over the course of time. Don't burden them. That's what he's saying here. But the, the expectation is that the Gentiles would be seeking to learn. And I think that's the difference is, is, the the Pharisee believers were expecting perfection day one. James is understanding that they should be seeking blamelessness over time. That word mm-hmm. we looked at in Deuteronomy 18, tamim. He's saying, go to the synagogue, learn the word of God, let him complete you. Right. It will be a process. Yeah. Let the spirit and let, let Jesus complete you over time. The point though, is that this can't be misused to say, that his commandments don't matter anymore because the expectation is that they would be worshiping on the Sabbath in the synagogue. Cause mm-hmm. we know that about the early church before this rift occurred and we can get into the history of that another time, but there was, there was a rift that occurred politically that caused Christians and Jews to separate and be at odds with one another up to that point. Believers in Jesus were worshiping in the synagogue on Sabbath on Saturday, and then they were gathering together the next day on Sunday as Christian believers. Mm-hmm. You know, they weren't just coming together one day a week, right. right? They were in, which implies that they were still respecting the the fourth the fourth commandment with the Sabbath. They were learning the expectations as they went, letting the Spirit convict them, and then gathering together for fellowship the next day. Mm-hmm. That's that's what the expectation from James here is: learn as you go, let the Spirit convict. Don't, don't right. put too much on them. But the point I wanted to make here before we, we close out with final thoughts is we don't have at any point, either in Deuteronomy 18 before the cross, Jesus right before the cross, or in Acts 15 here after the cross, at any point do we have Jesus presented as the antithesis of the law. We have, we have presented as Jesus working in tandem with the law, a prophet like unto Moses. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, it words it like that prophet. He's so much more than a prophet, prophet, capital P, you know what I mean? <laughs> he is the son of the living God. You know, John chapter one makes it clear that he is God. Okay. What I'm saying though, is that the expectations that he shares for us are, are largely the same. It's, it's the, it's the expectations from the father and we need to follow after him to seek to let him complete us and, and don't cause him to say something he's not saying. He's not saying it's okay to sin now. He's saying, I'm here. Grace is here. You know, you have this to cover you when you stumble. I will completely over, I will, I will complete you and convict you over time. But you need to work with me, right? right? Like Manasseh, you need to work with me and there needs to be follow through, right? I think you see the gospel pictured in the person of Manasseh when you to connect it back to the Manasseh connection, mm-hmm. right? From beginning to end, you have Manasseh as the worst kind of sinner imaginable as far away separated from the father as you can possibly be. You have him warned so he knows better. You have him hitting rock bottom. 
You have him crying out to the Father. You have the Father moving as a picture of what Jesus does for us to redeem him and restore him at that point that he cries out. And then you have him convicting him over time for the follow-through. That's a picture of what we should be walking. That's a picture of what James is showing us here in this Acts 15 decision. We need to let him work with us, but we need to not work against him by having a negative view of his expectations of us. We have to shun that negative view. Let's pull the needle off the record. Final thoughts. I'm going to let you go first, Sonny, so that way I don't steal your final thought from you. <laughs> All right. Um, I I kind of see the uh, I see the Ten Commandments kind of being just a moral code. Um, and some of us have been taught it. Some of us haven't. Um, but in all reality, this this um, this week, I, I, I really like this one. And it is it really speaks to me because it's on the journey that I'm on. You know, it's, it speaks of what I'm going through. Um, and, um, my final thought pretty much just whoever's on this journey, whoever, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, don't feel condemned whenever you're convicted of something. Um, and, uh, don't ever stop. Because once you, if you ever feel condemned and you feel like you just can't deal with that certain thing, don't stop. Because if you do, then that's where you lose yourself again. Because you can lose yourself over and over and over again. And uh, But you can take some time off. You can set it aside for a minute. Um you know, this is a lifelong journey. It's not just a, there's no end goal. There's no end. Don't ever think that you're ever going to be finished. And I think that's a lot of what people tend to think is there's an end. Yeah. And, um, you know. Like they're living for that end. Yeah. They're, mm-hmm. You know, so whenever you see that that end is the day that Jesus calls you home, I mean, that's whenever he feels like it's the right time, then it's the right time. You know what I mean? And then that's whenever your journey ends. Um, You know, but uh, you're going to be taught things. You're going to be shown things and just take it with uh, however much purpose that you can and, and try to work on it however God sees fit. That's my final thought. Right on. I'm glad <laughs> that was I, very good. I it like was it. good. I'm glad I'll let you go first because I'm going to steal a little bit of your wording. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay though. I think it, but I'm going to, I'm going to relate it to um, your heart condition. I think mm-hmm. that's the most important thing that we have is what, where our hearts are, where, you know, when we sin, we feel the conviction as we should in our hearts but that conviction shouldn't be felt as condemnation in our, in our, in our hearts. You know, we're not condemned by the sin, but we should feel convicted over it. And I feel like if you're mindful of that and in pursuant of him and that conviction, I think that's right where you need to be. Don't, don't. And you know, if you ever get to where you do feel too over condemned, then that's where you need to put it on him. Like he wants us 
to put that on him. Don't carry that because that will weigh you down. And uh, I think it'll it'll ruin your heart for the conviction because then I think all you'll feel is that like that uh, that condemned feeling. I'm gonna carry that just a little bit further and say that conviction is discipline from a loving, perfect father. It is not condemnation from a malevolent taskmaster. And we need to be cautious in making sure that we view the father in the correct light. He loves us. He cares about us. He convicts us because he loves us and cares about us. It's the enemy that wants you to quit. It's the enemy that wants you to lay down and say, I'm not good enough. I never will be. I quit. Not the father. That's not his heart. It never has been. I'm going to do my final thought a little bit different. I'm actually going to play a bonus song to close this out this week. But before I do that, uh, I want to read something and I want to give an encouragement. So the, the, what I want to read is from Joshua. And how often have you guys seen memed or put in like uh, inspirational quotes, Joshua 1.9, be strong and courageous? Mm-hmm. Often. Yeah. How often have you seen verse 1.8 added to it? It's almost always just verse nine, right? Right. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read this out, what it actually says, starting in verse eight. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We love to grip on to the promises. Our wayward heart hates the expectation sometimes. (laughs) You cannot have the promise without the expectation. This is an if-then. Pursue me is what he's saying. Pursue to let me complete you and be blameless. Then, (laughs) then, you will be successful and I'll make you strong and courageous wherever you go. If you want the promise, you have to accept accept the expectation and the follow through as well. The song I want to play is called Worthy by Mason Clover. And I really want you to listen to it. Listen to the words, let it resonate in your soul. And I'm just asking those of you listening, if you have not fallen at the feet of Jesus, if you have not cried out to him and confessed your sin to him, and acknowledge that you need him so desperately to rescue you, or if you've drifted in your faith, today's the day. He is right there with open arms. He loves you. He's good. He does not give up on you. Even when you give up on yourself, just return to him. That's all he's asking. He'll take 999 steps in your direction just to get you to turn around and take that one. Take it. If you need to take that step today, please, I'm begging you take it. I want to thank all of you listening. If you have any feedback, any questions, any comments, any topic ideas, be sure to reach out to us. Again, you can find us on Facebook, Broken Record Ministries, or you can email us at brokenrecordministries at gmail.com. And again, we'll be playing Worthy by Mason Clover to close us out. We will catch you on the flip side. Shalom. God bless. See ya. <laughs> we'll work on that. Yeah. I, I don't have an outro yet. I forgot to work on that. My heart's desire 
You are 